This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast with me, Kim Ann Curtin, your co-host, and Lucas Peterson. How are you, Lucas? I am doing very well, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Christmas is two days away. What is today? December 23rd. 23rd, yeah. So you guys have context uh, when we're talking. So I'm a little harried to just like <laughs> drop off Christmas presents and, you know, yeah. do the shopping and all the last minute grocery run before the stores close. So, but I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to Christmas and uh, my my favorite thing from my childhood Christmases was that my sister and I always got new pajamas uh, <laughs> for Christmas Eve to wear that matched, of course. And uh, so this year, I surprised my sister with pajamas that matched my pajamas. So oh. we're gonna we're gonna like get to recreate a little bit of our childhood memories. So that that should be should be fun. It's yeah. like those little things from our childhood that I feel are just so important. Like who knew they were so important at the time but yet later on it's like those are little sentimental moments that were like "Ooh, that's what made us so special you know yeah exactly that's a, I, things I think, like that yeah and it's funny because like you say like you don't realize the that they're special until mm -hmm. later on it's like the mm -hmm. tiny little things like um like this year uh my uncle used to give out um chocolate oranges um i don't even know if you're familiar I with don't those i know what those are it's just a uh, and it's a piece of chocolate in the shape of an orange, um, and they wow. have like a flavor of orange in them. Um, nice. And so yeah, and so I saw them at the store the other day, and I bought a bunch and sent them to my sister because it was the same thing. It was like this is yeah. I remember getting those, and they was like one of the best parts of like Christmas and exactly makes you feel like warm and fuzzy inside. It does. <laughs> it really does. It's amazing. These like little small things that who. We could never have guessed that they would mean so much years later. But when I think that, it's I think of those pajamas. You know, well, I think they were mostly feety pajamas where we had like the. We remember the feety <laughs> the pajamas. Footy. You probably saw it. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure why they stopped making those. I don't think they have them anymore, do they? I don't know. Maybe yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. But those those things like the the chocolate or whatever. It's chocolate. Everybody's got their thing. So anyway, I hope you guys are going to find what you remember from your childhood Christmas and, uh, you know, yeah. find a way to recreate and reconnect to it. So, yeah. um, so today I thought what we, you know, I actually want to try to get Celeste Headley on this podcast, uh, but she's uh, got a, a deadline for another book she's coming out with. So hopefully her, I, I connected today to her PR person, I can have her on, but I thought I would speak about her book called Do Nothing. Uh, there was a subtitle that I'm forgetting at this moment, but uh, it, it, was, it was a really shocking book for me to read. Uh, and basically what she's saying is that we have all become so accustomed 
to doing. Our culture is such an advocate of doing that being not only is something we don't prioritize, but we also feel guilty when we are being, when we are not working. And because it's the holiday time and because we're going into the new year, of course, we talked the last time in our podcast about intentions as opposed to resolutions, but I felt like also part of what I think a lot of people go into the new year with is like, now I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I want to just propose what would it be like to imagine that this was the year that you do nothing. And that is like, oh my God, right? I'm a coach. I'm always advocating transformation and change. But just like, hear me out for a minute. Like the concept is, what if you begin to put your focus on how to be still, how to practice uh, being in this moment as opposed to always focused on what the future holds? So I think the most shocking tidbit from her book that I want to say to everybody is, she actually talks about serfs in middle, medieval England who would be allotted a certain amount of land by the king that they worked less than we do today. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, what? <laughs> that is just too hard to swallow too hard to swallow. Shocking. And it's like, wow, what is this work, work, work in service to? I'm as guilty as anybody. I work, work, work. It's really hard for me to not work. It's really hard for me to force myself to go do other things uh, because I love what I do. But at the same time, it's not healthy. So anyway, I just think this book, it's a paradigm shift. And she talks also about the Industrial Revolution and how that has just become kind of the, the standard which, with, we, which we measure ourselves up against. And because the culture, especially in the United States, is all about, you know, more, bigger doing, uh, it just becomes even harder culturally to even give ourselves permission to do nothing. Um, and the epitome of do nothing is going to look different for everybody. It could be, you know... Uh, sitting still, it could be reading a book, uh, not on a Kindle, you know, it could be, um, or on an electronic device, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're easy, it's easier to be distracted. Um, But the other book too, that I wanted to put forward, let's see, do I have, I don't have it handy, is a book called, it's called The End of Absence, The End of Absence, and how we're not even experiencing as human beings, absence. And and he's saying, you know, we're filling all the moments up with things. And even if we're just like waiting, I don't know about you, but I see this all the time. People that are waiting at a red light, I'm guilty of it too, will check their phone. It's like, you can't even take one minute to not do something. It's like, can you just sit? Remember we used to just sit and just kind of like look out the window? Like, no. It just doesn't happen. So The End of Absence and Do Nothing are two books that I thought I'd bring forward today uh, to consider. And I'm just going to check in with you, Lucas. How do you do by, well by way of doing nothing or having absence? Uh, it's interesting. I used to be very good at it. And I'm still, I'm, I think, probably relatively good at it because it's something that I, I'm conscious of and I try to practice um, yeah. because 
uh, th this came to, to mind um, when I used to work uh, for Apple um, wow. was just, you know, everyone always on their phones all the time, social media, like the addiction that we have to it. Um, yeah. And I say we, I mean, <laughs> just most people in the 21st century. Um, totally. And so I became really cognizant of my use of those things and tried to cut back on, you know, uh, and be, and just be more conscious and aware of what I'm doing and, and have the intention around what I'm doing and trying to like, what am I getting on my phone for? Am I doing it out of habit or am I doing it because I'm bored or to fill those gaps, those absences? Yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard that before, but that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. yeah. The, the, you know, he, what he's saying is that the, uh, the spaces in between are part of that, uh, what is that word? Contrast. We, mm -hmm. we don't have any contrast of absence because of that, you know, he, he's, he wrote this book. I, I think I got this book like 10 years ago. Um, so he's writing kind of in a different context than Celeste Headley's book, but it's the same idea of like, when, when did we get uncomfortable having absence and just space and just quiet? Yeah. Uh, you know, when did that happen? And, and if you read Celeste Headley's book, you, she kind of timelines it for you so you can see when it happened. Um, but I, I think that it's, this, this is going to become even more important uh, in this next year or so, especially because of this pandemic we're coming yep. out of. That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah, it's just even more likely that, and, I, and I, I really do kind of believe that this pandemic has forced people to be with how they don't, this, this has forced them to look at how much, little absence they have in their life. Yeah. And I think also it, it potentially gives us this opportunity, you know, if we think back, like, oh my gosh, that we have Netflix, right? That we can hand, have during this pandemic. Oh my gosh, that we have a cell phone. Oh my gosh, that we have Zoom video. Think about back in 1918 when the pandemic happened and everybody yeah. just had to stay at home. Like you were just reading, if you were lucky, you had a book. Most people never had books. Books were too expensive. You couldn't afford it, middle class or poor people. So it was like, what the hell did they do all freaking day long while they were not supposed to go out and about? That that would have been much harder yeah. <laughs> than yeah, exactly. right now all that we have. But I do feel even with clients I've spoken to that connect, reconnecting to family, reconnecting mm -hmm. with children, not having mm -hmm. to travel as much uh, has shifted their realization of what's important and where did they want their time, energy to be going. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's not the best ideal way to have our hands forced around being with how busy we are, but, and, and look, boredom too, uh, not for nothing, but boredom is important. <laughs> like, I think people think boredom is something you have to quickly get away from, but I'm of the opinion it's within the boredom and daydreaming. I want to, I want to say that boredom is part of what facilitates us going to a place of daydreaming. And yeah. if we don't have boredom, then we're not daydreaming. And that's, I don't know about you, but that's where some of my best ideas have come from is when I daydream. 
And to daydream means you can't be on technology. It means mm -hmm. you should be walking probably in the woods or just, you know, bopping up and down in the ocean uh, or finding a way to just kind of look at the fireplace if you're lucky enough to have one. Yeah. That's, this reminds me of um, the, the, I'm forgetting the author's name, but the Alexander Hamilton um, biography. Have you ever read mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. um, he so hit one thing that they point out in that, and he's pretty well known for doing it was Alexander Hamilton used to go on like five mile walks, like almost every day, like he'd work in the morning wow. and then he would just like start walking and like would walk basically all around New York. Um, wow. because he just, and that was like how he thought. And it was like that type of like sitting and boredom and the time away from the work that actually yes. got more of the work in his mind done. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so, I, and that's creativity. That's where yeah. you access creativity. And, yeah. you know, if you're a writer, I mean, he was a prolific writer, but that makes total sense that, that, you know, you're giving in a sense that walking is giving your brain time to process, digest, yeah. and weave things together that you maybe couldn't weave together before. Yeah. And, uh, one of my spiritual teachers, you know, when I talk to him on occasion, he's just always checking in to say, are you giving yourself enough time to daydream? Mm. And I, I, most times my answer is no, yeah. I'm not. And he's it's, like, how's that going for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it, it's <laughs> similar to, it's similar, but different to sleep, right? Like sometimes um, mm. I think about like uh, when I was in school or if I'm trying to learn, like memorize something, yeah. um, it, I can't do it immediately. Usually it happens the next day. Like all of a sudden it just like clicks the next day because I've like yes. slept and somehow my mind has just like absorbed it in the middle of yes. the night. Like I've Absolutely. tried all day, all day, all day. And then it's the time away where like the work happens somehow. Absolutely. And I can't, I don't know that I'm going to remember the book I read this in, but that the concept of when you're trying to memorize something or try to integrate a new uh, learning that after you get this, introduced to you let's say it's you know you spend uh, a half hour trying to memorize something or really understand something or in it, get your mind into a whole new context of operating and you finish if you go walk for 20 minutes they say do exercise of any sort for 20 minutes afterwards it will integrate in deeper and faster Mm. Have you ever heard that? I'm not, but I, I mean, I believe it. I, I, I would I, I, say that I that works for me. I was to hear that. <laughs> if, I mean, that's what it sounds like. I mean, you're doing sleep, but the, the concept is that what's happening is you're giving the rest, you know, because it's the left and the right hand part of our brain, that, and they both operate different. Uh, so, I mean, they operate the same, but they, they are kind of focused in different areas. And the, that idea that there is this processing and I feel like the book that spoke about this I wish I could remember where I read it I feel like I I sometimes read more than one book at a time most times so <laughs> I would think I was reading Chris Voss's book but I don't think Chris Voss talked about it in his book I think it was just another book I was reading while I was reading Chris Voss's and I, and I, and the re this is this is why Chris Voss's book has come up because I must have learned this and then I was listening to Chris Voss's book I had bought Chris Voss's book uh, in audio because I wanted to listen to the tone of voice that his negotiation, his book, by the way, is called uh, Never Split the Difference, uh, co-authored co by Tal Raz, a writer that I admire more than I can ever say. He was uh, a gentleman that gave me 
he, he gave me probably the most important testimonial that I got from my book uh, because he had initially discouraged me from writing it. So what, I, <laughs> what he really did, he was like, at the front of my book, I talk about some, somebody telling me that people would think it was his Saturday Night Live skit. It was tall. <laughs> He's the one who told me that in a coffee shop downtown New York. And he was like, Kim? This is not a good idea. And I was like, oh, no, Tal doesn't think it's a good idea. And I, he's my hero. I'm like, he's the best writer I know. Like, I was just like, he's so smart and savvy. You know, I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? But I was like, Tal, I have to do it anyway. He was like, okay. So, like, four years go by. I sent him my first draft. He was, like, one of the first people I saw my first, you know, after I had edited it with my editor. And I was like, Tal here it is like talk about like the most vulnerable moment oh oh my god waiting for him to write me back was so scary and when he wrote me back I just burst into tears because he was just like just gave me the most incredible response about how good it was and wrote me this beautiful testimonial so uh so tall uh I love you. I miss you so much. <laughs> we used to go for coffee in New York City, and he's just one of my favorite people to just like have these great intellectual. He's so, so smart and has such a big heart, and just the conversations were amazing. So sometimes I miss that in New York City, these intellectual coffee clutches where you could just talk with like the smartest people in the world uh, and hang out with them. So I was really lucky. So anyway, Chris, um, Chris Voss is lucky to have had Tal work with him on that book. And I remember hearing this about the exercise, having the, the uh, content really soak in if you exercise. So I was trying to list, do Chris Voss's book and exercise at the same time. So I was like walking <laughs> up and down hills listening to Chris Voss because I was like, wow, this stuff, I want to get this. I want to really get this. So I do think it worked. I do think it worked. So we'll see. Yeah. It's also, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's similar to what you always talk about, like around how the, the impact of coaching happens outside of the coaching, like in between the mm -hmm. sessions. Right. Um, that's so good. That's such a good point, Lucas. And it's, yes. you know, I think a lot of things in life are that way, right? Like you, yeah. you, we learn the strategies, we strategize, then we put some work in and then like you come back to it and it just like happens in steps and it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, it's like digestion, you know, yeah. it's, it's like we, we, we like, we'll, we'll taste the food, then we'll swallow food. And then it has to like make its way through multiple layers. And it's, I think the same with our, this integration between our intellect, the integration of our emotional intelligence, and then the spiritual intelligence. And it's, it's those three things that have to be kind of honored uh, as we're going down you know, the road. And, and it's funny, just uh, recently a friend uh, was visiting some other friends of mine. We went out to dinner for his birthday, uh, just four of us. So we were, you know, and there was no tables around us. So, <laughs> and he had been tested and every, the rest of us hadn't traveled. Uh, and he had, uh, his phone broke. So, he, you know, I was telling him, I was like, oh, you have a dopamine detox happening right now. And he was, he was like, yes, yes, and it's not going well. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yeah, I, it's not going to go well because that inclination is so strong now. But because there were still days ahead that he had, you know, before he was going back home to get a new one. And, you know, he was able to check his email. You know, there was nothing really cr cr critical happening, uh, so to speak. He could check his email for work and stuff. But 
you know, I was just saying to him, like, this is this amazing opportunity the universe is giving you to uh, have you be present to how much attached, how attached you are to your phone. Not, not him per se, but all of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's funny, there's times, I don't know if you've ever heard this, like, you know, with, with people around you where they're like, oh, I wish I, like I, that night I was like, wow, I wish I had lost my phone. I you know, know right? like, like, then I would just like get to have some more freedom or, yeah. but then it's self-imposed. Like this yep. is, we're doing this to ourselves. Yeah, we all have the opportunity anytime. This happened to me uh, back in February. My phone Did it? broke, yeah. And it was, I, so I just didn't have a phone for almost a week. And it was like kind of the most liberating like <laughs> week I've had in years. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I would like totally. go to the store and like everybody's on their phone. And it was just like, wow, I feel like I'm the only one in this yeah. store because everyone else's minds are completely someplace else somewhere else yeah totally it's an interesting thing to just like leave your phone at home every once in a while yes it is yes <laughs> we don't it need it <laughs> we don't need it we don't like what's gonna happen like things that yeah. we we survived when we didn't have them 24 7 back in the day yeah. you know and somebody made fun of some politician there was a photograph of a politician on capitol hill the i don't know last week with a flip phone and oh, yeah. they were making fun of him. You know, look, you can make fun of politicians for a lot of good reasons. But I was like, <laughs> don't make fun of him for having a flip phone. I would like to still have my flip phone because you did. He probably has that on purpose. Of course, he yeah. could have an iPhone 10 or 11, what the hell, wherever we are now. But maybe he chooses to have it just to keep himself a little disconnected from the mayhem. And I'm like, yeah. smart man. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After, after that happened, I considered like seriously considered getting a flip phone, but the, the drawbacks, which are tough because we live in yeah. you know the 21st century and we're supposed totally. to be attainable all the time is the like no email and then yeah. no hotspot to like, cause those are like the two things that I feel like, and not that I need, but I feel like those are like the, the things that hold me back. Like I don't, I can do social media on my computer and not, I don't care about that, but the, yep. Yeah, the email, email is the toughest one, I feel like. It's the email. Just, and, and what's so funny is, you know, the finance world, when I had, we had just started getting computers maybe five years prior to me working at the hedge fund. I was at this trading, uh, bank trade association for years, and we got a computer there probably uh, in the last year or two before I left. And then I went over to the hedge fund, and I was given my first BlackBerry, and Part of what I got when I was, you know, for the rest of my time in finance was you were always plugged in. So I was about, you know, people in finance at that time were probably 10 years early compared to the masses, 10 to 15 years earlier mm -hmm. around always being plugged in. And, you know, on the Blackberries, there was a red blinking light when you got an email. So the, the challenge you know, was you didn't even have to look at your phone. If that red blinking light started to go, you were, I, I mean, it was Pavlovian. And yeah. I remember sitting with my sister who, you know, meanwhile, I already was out of finance for so many years. And I was sitting with my sister in a restaurant and her company had just, let's say in the last five years, given her a black for some reason maybe it was more further back and it she had the red blinking light and or and she had just gotten it she had just gotten the blackberry so the red blinking light and, and i was like do you think you can um you can put that further down in your pocketbook and she's like <laughs> like it's in my bag i was like you don't understand 
I have so Pavlovian charge by seeing a red blinking light that it, I constantly feel like I have to go to it, even though it's yeah. not even my BlackBerry. And I haven't even had one in 10 years, but wow. it's, it's so <laughs> distracting me. And she was like, okay, weirdo, you know? And she like <laughs> tucked it further into her purse. But then about a year later, she was like, oh my God, I understand about the red light now. I was like, right, <laughs> am I right? So, so when I started to see how everybody was gonna be doing all this stuff with phones and being on them all the time, I was like, oh my God, I was 15 years earlier than everybody else. Yeah. And, and, and that was one of the, the things when I first left finance that I was so excited about was not having a Blackberry anymore. And really? yet, now, here it is all over again. And I'm thinking, you know, I was being paid big bucks then to deal with that crap. <laughs> <laughs> and none of you people are getting me big bucks for this phone addiction thing. And yeah. I'm like, oh, if you guys were in finance and paid good money, okay. But if you're not, what the hell? You really care about Joe Schmo living down the street from you and what's going on in his Instagram page? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it has been a complete shift in the way that we like view the world and the way that we view our devices. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it's, it's something to, something to consider like around living intentionally is yes. the time that you spend with your device. Yes, for sure. And the news and the exposure to the news because oh, yeah. our ability to digest bad news, which is all the media gives us, yeah. is costing us as well, costing our peace of mind, costing our well-being. And just the amount of time we're engaging, even on Twitter, um, and, and, uh, but I, I have to say, I, I don't probably do as much, I still could do less, but I probably don't do as much as a lot of other people because I don't have time, because, I, because I'm very fortunate to have clients and to do, be doing that. But I, could see, I can see that that is a slippery slope. And even when I get my uh, hours each week of like how many hours I've been on this, on that, on my cell phone, yeah. I'm always aghast. It's way too high. I know, it's, right? It's, I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not possible. And yet there it is. Yeah. So anyway, just I just, I, it feels like, you know, we went down a couple of rabbit holes here, but the heart of the matter is just, be curious, I think, to the viewers around what absence means for you. Is there enough of it? Are you daydreaming enough? Are you giving yourself space? Are you feeling guilty for not doing? And the concept of doing nothing, you know, does that, does that make you go into a contraction? Does it make you feel like, oh my God, I could never do that? Well, then get really curious because that tells me that it's possible, you know, you could be bumping up against a uh, it being an addiction. And I do think at this point it is an addiction for all of us, but for some, uh, it's probably going to be one of those that you have to really think about doing something about just for the cost. Cause there is a cost. There yeah. is a cost to us. Do all. You, if, if somebody wanted to immediately, you know, start down this path, is there any, um, advice that you would give them around like doing nothing or even just like ways that they might be able to find absence in their life? The, the dopamine detox, nobody's going to like me telling them that, but that would be taking a weekend completely off uh, news, off your phone, off of, uh, you know, watching a movie. You know, you could read a book, a real book, not a Kindle book, let's say, just because it's tactically different. So yeah, it would be, you know, 
what, what happens to you if maybe go on a retreat? Like if you can create your own retreat, great. Probably right now with the pandemic, you probably have to do that, but you could eventually go on a retreat where you, you know, create walks for yourself, create projects for yourself. You know, the, the one thing that I actually like a lot that I still have in my life is adult crayon uh, coloring books where I, I don't use crayons. I have crayons, but I mostly use color pencils uh, because I like the ability to like, you know, have that, the, the, the different shades I like to like. So I have these really beautiful uh, adult coloring patterns that are like, you know, a lot of um, Paisley's and whatnot. And, and I have to say it brings, whenever I'm really tense and I feel like I can't decompress and I usually don't have booze in my house. So like, you know, because I just know that if it's there, I'll probably indulge. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just pull one of these out. And the other thing about it that's really good is, Sometimes for me to really focus, uh, like I, I'll, if I have a pad of paper in front of myself and I'm listening to somebody, I sometimes will doodle, like I'll just create circles or squares. It just, it helps me process like what I'm deeply listening to. I don't always do this. It usually depends on what the conversation is or the topic, but I have on occasion, uh, had even the coloring book nearby if it's a personal conversation and it just it's there's a level uh i feel it's like that create and i think this is the other thing too i wanted to say just for people who are potentially built like i am there's times when my being in complete silence when i'm working on a project or i have to write something and rewrite it and rewrite it that actually the silence will be hard for me i will need like low uh grade songs in the background music in the background to help me have some sort of stimulus and that's part i think too of a, like people who are creatives, they need that sense. Like that's part of why Starbucks is, did so well. It's not just the coffee. It's because you had that low grade, you know, background noise to help uh, for those who need to have some kind of like stimulation on both sides of the brain. So even though that is something, it is still somewhat in the service to the idea of daydreaming. Um, yeah. So yeah, my recommendation would be what can you let go of for that weekend? The more, the better. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point too, is um, a lot of that is around creativity, right? Um, and that's, I, I find like something that helps me whenever I'm in, in a like stressful time. Uh, sometimes I forget because I, I love to draw and paint. Um, and so those are, if I haven't done that for a month or two, like I, I just go back to it and like I, it's, everything just shifts a little bit. Like it, yeah. I just feel a little more grounded. And so I wonder if yes. there is some, something around being creative, even for people who don't feel they're innately creative, like exactly. just do something that is uh, creative Correct. for you, you know? Exactly. I mean, anybody can get an adult crank, coloring book, you know, yeah. anybody can paint or draw. You don't have to, you know, I think this is part of that uh, expectation culture puts on us. Like, well, I'm not good at it. Like, why do we have to be good at everything? Like, mm -hmm. can't we be lousy and still <laughs> get something out of something? Like who yeah. says we have to be good? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is that true. That's, that's, that's a, maybe a different topic for a different day, but just the uh, expectations we have around like um, being good at everything, um, yes. you know, and 
Yes. You, no one is the expert of everything. And there's a, there's a fun uh, improv game called the expert of everything where you just make oh, up really? somebody. Yeah. Somebody gives you, they'll be like, uh, you're a knee doctor. And then you just have to like explain what the knee is and you have, you don't know what it is, but you just say <laughs> with conviction what it is. Right. <laughs> Which is pretty much what everybody does anyway. And that, so. <laughs> that can be what people do. You, like, talk, talk politics with anybody. And people are like, well, I'll tell you what about Chuck Schumer and exactly. Nancy Pelosi. And it's like, and, and do you like, really wow. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. Do you it's really so know? Do you I mean, really know? Do you understand how government works? Like on a deep level? Yeah. You're like, do we really know what these people are doing? But everybody acts like they are the expert. But it's also because I think that's what's expected of us. Exactly. We're expected to have it all figured out. And yeah. that also lends itself to us thinking we are um, we are we are the ones who have the wis the monopoly on truth? Mm -hmm. Like if you have this expectation culturally that you have to know, well then you're going to act like you know, even yeah. if you don't, because you're afraid you'll look like the only idiot that doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And you exactly. don't want to be that guy or gal, so you just pretend and exaggerate. Yep. Well, I did read all about these two people or that person. It's like really. Did you like, is it okay to not like have an opinion? No, we all have been like, we all have to have an opinion. Like why not not having a, why not not having an opinion? Why isn't that something people like aspire yeah. to? It's interesting. Uh, you know, when I think about like the way, way you're speaking and I think about like going to like dinner parties or whatever, uh, like a year or two ago and thinking about like Christmas parties and you have like conversations with people and the people you think about afterwards and really enjoy are the people who like don't have a strong opinion, or at least yes. I should say I were who, who are like, Ooh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. As opposed yes. to who are like, Oh yeah, I know that's blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of like agree and talk out their ass. <laughs> so true. So true. And that, and that sense of listening is part of why that person becomes more enjoyable to be with because yeah. they're not just talking at you. They're actually curious about mm -hmm. what you are uh, up to or the way you're thinking. And that is, you know, uh, it, it's just, it, it opens up your, uh, heart to connection because you're like, wow, this is a person who actually is interested in what I think. And yep. most times, most people aren't interested in what anybody thinks because yeah. they feel like they maybe uh, are smarter or better or more educated. And, you know, I, I just recently uh, did a retweet of a story or a thread roll of a story that I never heard of before about the Frito. Did you hear about this? The Frito-Lay janitor? Oh my no. God, what a story. No. So this, this story is this, uh, janitor, this, this, uh, you know, Spanish man who I guess, uh, it starts out. I'm not sure like if he had a full command of language, he like grew up in a cinder block, room with like 14 members of his family they were like you know doing the fields out west uh and he eventually got this opportunity like you know to work as a janitor at frito-lay and he his grandfather said to him you know be sure whatever his last name was like be sure that that is the shiniest floor they have ever seen because you are you know your last name your this is your this is your pride that you will do whatever you do with 
perfection. Mm -hmm. And so he did that. And not only did he do that with these floors, but he started to pay attention to all the, um, the factory, like where this happens in the factory, what this factory part of the line uh, creates. Then he started to get, he was like, I'm really curious about how do the sales processes work. So he asked some salesmen if he could go on calls with them to just see how they pitched the stuff, right? So he just, he, he was always the janitor, but he immersed himself in all these places just because he wanted, he was curious and he was he was not acting like a know-it-all. He was just like, hmm, hmm. And he was like, let me see if all of these things will just help me understand and kind of be more uh, of a contribution to this company. So to the point where I guess they were starting to have trouble uh, on, you know, sales or whatever across the company. And the CEO of the company put out a mandate to everybody in the firm, all of Frito-Lay, that we, I want you all to act like owners of this company. You're all, consider yourself an owner of this company now because we have to come up with some solutions. And so this man whose name, you know, we'll get for the liner notes because, of course, I want to give him some credit. Um, he has an idea. So he decides to call the CEO's office and uh, they put him in touch with the CEO and the CEO is like, oh, are you the vice president of sales? Like, he's like, <laughs> like I, I don't know your name kind of thing. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not. He's like, oh, are you in this dimension? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, oh, so what, what part of like are you in? And he's like, I'm the janitor. And the CEO was like, okay, uh, come in in two weeks and we'll have our conversation. So how cool is that CEO yeah. that he says to himself, I'm going to meet with the janitor because I've told everybody to take ownership, right? Yeah. So the, the guy, Spanish guy comes into his office and it opens this amazing little thread story of him sweating and it couldn't talk. Like he had to get water because he was so nervous <laughs> sitting at the table across from the CEO. And he tells the CEO that he noticed that um, Frito Lay doesn't have very spicy products. Like when he, in the Spanish supermarkets of his neighborhood, mm. he never, he said all the products to the, to the right of the, the staples for the Spanish household, he said, all these brands are there, but Frito-Lay is never there because we don't have this super spicy, uh, you know, product. And so he said, so my thought was we need to rebrand and create a brand that is specific to the very, very spicy um, product. And I'm, and I'm just looking now to just see if I have it here uh, because I want to just get the product. So it basically, the, the Frito-Lay, it's their most successful product in the history of their company. Is it like it's, the... I don't know if this is their company, the same company. I don't eat a lot of chips, but is it the Cheetos, yeah. the spicy Cheetos? The yes, Cheetos? yes, that's yeah. them. That's They're them. so popular. <laughs> They're so popular. So th this man, let me give Richard Montanez, grew up in Cucamonga Valley, California, sharing a one-room cinder block hut with a 14 family members. He dreaded school. He, he could barely speak English. He cried to his mother about not wanting to go to class. So this whole story goes on and on and on. And I just want to see, so this, here's a picture of him and the Cheetos uh, product. This brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, the thing about Cheetos. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're watching, it's, it's a great photoshopped uh, image of him, <laughs> arms up, and then flaming right. hot Cheetos all the way around him. 
<laughs> Flamin' Hot Cheetos, that's it. Flamin' Hot Cheetos. They became the, one of the most successful launches in Frito-Lay history. They went on to become a viral pop culture sensation. Richard became a vice president and amassed a $20 million fortune. Wow. Is that the best story ever? Wow. I freaking love that story. That is, that is something. Isn't that something? <laughs> it just says so much about like how, I mean, and in a way, not that maybe one would couch what he was doing was daydreaming, but in a lot of ways it sort of was because he was observing. He became a master at observing where mm -hmm. this was done, how that was done. Even for him to have that presence of mind in his little Spanish like, yeah, you know, grocery market. Stores, yeah. Mm -hmm. To notice that this product is over here, but yet Frito-Lay is not over here next to it. Like that is a certain level of absence that he had to be in for him to be able to see this missing piece. Yeah. 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 He very well could have just dismissed it and Correct. just moved on. Yeah. Been busy looking at his Facebook page in the supermarket instead <laughs> exactly. of the shelf. It also takes so, a lot of um, uh, humility for the, you know, this for the CEO in a way too, and and him as well. A lot of courage for for both of them, I totally, think, uh, totally. to to even take that meeting to one approach yeah. it and be like, I think I have this idea. Hopefully, you'll with just like the power dynamics of the world. Totally, um, totally. And then for the CEO to have the humility and like. Agreed. Be vulnerable enough to be like, hey, what's your idea? You know, exactly. To and and that to me is like part of the explanation of what you were saying about like at these parties, like when people mm -hmm. try to one up each other. I was looking for the CEO's name here because I want to give him a shout out too, but I don't think it's I don't know if it's in here. Um, anyway, but that but that CEO, yeah, whoever you are, Mister CEO. Uh, what an incredible man. Yeah. So uh, he said, have he, what was the, the thing he said? Um, let's see. The, when, when Richard put this in front of the CEO, he had sealed bags with a clothing iron and had hand drawn a logo on each one. <laughs> wow. This guy really delivered. And he said, when they put that, when he put it in front of the CEO and there were other executives in the room, the whole room went silent. And after a few moments, the CEO spoke and said, put that mop away. You're coming with us. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, but the, but, the, but the humility, like you said, of that CEO, like, or his, uh, he was willing to not be a know-it-all. He was yep. willing to be able to, if he, for him to even put the mandate out to everybody to act like an owner, I mean, that is that boy do we need a lot more ceos like that in this yeah. country right now but in this globe you know we need a lot more ceos like that but that 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 sense of you know when we meet people ultimately the people that do all the talking about themselves and i'm not saying people sometimes aren't excited about what they want to talk about but a lot of the people that are all kind of pomp and circumstance they are just really insecure and they're trying to you know prove uh that they're worthy in that moment yep. and yeah. but the, the ceo clearly knew who he was he didn't need to prove anything and he was able to hear this incredible you know vision this man had and do something with it it's just a remarkable story yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah, it's cool. pretty. It's pretty awesome. Maybe we can get Richard on the podcast or and the CEO. How fun yeah. would that be? <laughs> that would be a, a great conversation. conversation. Get, the, get the real, the, the yeah. exact story with the, yeah. the backstory yeah. of it all. Totally, because gosh, both of them tremendous leadership skills, right? Tremendous yeah. leadership skills, and you know. This, this concept, like, I, I think there's some people that are going to hear this concept of the do nothing and the having more absence in your life. And you're like, Kim, how am I supposed to get along in this world with, like, not yeah. doing anything? But, you know, how many, like, obviously that man was doing something. But in a lot of ways, I feel so many of the magical things that come about, they come about not just with our effort, but because, like, we have this... Um, we open ourselves up, you know, Joe Campbell has this great quote that he says, you know, if you, if first of all, he says, if the path in front of you is clear, you're probably on somebody else's. Mm -hmm. But he also says that when you follow your bliss and you follow your heart, doors open up where there once were walls. Yeah. And that perhaps is hard for people to get around, but like, I can tell you one day I took a day off, which again, in the middle of a weekday is rare for me. And I bumped I in. You can attest to that, right? It's hard for me to take off on a weekend, right? like a weekday. But I did. And I wound up bumping in to a very senior level executive at one of the top companies in the world. Because he was on vacation with his family. And I just happened to find myself on this little tour bus and, you know, had this very nice, genuine conversation. And then he laid upon me who he was. And he kind of whispered it because he didn't, you know, want anybody else to know. And yeah. I was just like, holy crap. I never <laughs> would have met this guy had I not taken this day off. So sometimes serendipity is where the magic happens. But for us to have serendipity, it doesn't always look the way it, we think it does. Yeah. This, um, this kind of reminds me of um, your conversation with Joseph. Um, mm. You know, he says something along the lines of, uh, you know, like basically kind of just like, I'm just here to like be like a, a voice for the universe. And so I like find what I just have like this intuitive ability to see where I'm supposed to go. And I think that we all have that. And like, he very, is very in touch with that and seems uh, yeah. much more advanced. But I think we do all have that. Like sometimes yes. you just know, like you just like, or I don't know why I'm doing this, but I yes. need to do it. And, yes. and, and it's amazing the things that like the, like you said, the doors that open um, after you, Absolutely. you do take that one step. Absolutely. And, and even more so, what about all the times when you've done that? And you don't necessarily see the results in that moment. What yeah. would it take for you to trust that even if you don't necessarily see the end results, that they still could be occurring? You know, I, I can't help but think back to on 9-11, um, just my own situation that day and catching the flight that I caught. If I had, if the flight that I was originally scheduled to be on uh, was the plane that I was on, I, at a minimum, would have been emergency landed. At a maximum, I could have been one of the planes that went into the towers. So the point is, it's like, and then I think also about all those people who missed their subway that morning or missed yeah. their train or woke up late. You know, they were stopped by that action. Now, they, they got evidence right away of like, wow, I was saved by this incredible little small divot and unexpected development. But, but what if there is like 
another version of that, like a car. Like, you know, I, I remember once I was driving and I made the wrong turn and I knew better, but I took it. And then I saw this other car go flying and I was like, huh, what if I had been over there when that happens? Like there are, that we, we sometimes get lucky enough to see grace show up for us. Like on a 9-11 when we miss our subway train or our plane gets, you know, canceled and then pushed on another flight. But there's probably a slew of times when we don't get to see the end results of grace. And what if that's there too? And yeah. uh, we may never know, but it could still be protecting us from something even greater or keeping us from, you know, trouble that we didn't even know would have unfolded. Yeah. And I think the, the less we do, the more in touch we get in, in with that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but ultimately I think it will be true for everybody. I know it's certainly true for me that especially if I've done a lot and I'm, I'm, you know, what do they say about you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? Because they, they're <laughs> going to get it out. They're going to get it out. They're, they're in the mode. Like even this morning, we wound up not recording the steady trade podcast. Lucas and I had this recording and just like getting into it. I was like, Oh, I could feel myself. Like I wasn't warmed up, you know, but like when on, on Wednesdays is usually when we record uh, the steady trade podcast. And then we, Lucas and I come together and record. It's like I'm just moving through the flow. The flow is already there. Boom, boom, boom. But today I could see, oh, I was like clunky. I wasn't getting like ready for this call on time. Everything was going on. Um, and I'm like, am I losing my point? No. Okay. What was my point? My point of that, my point of that is I'm like, oh, I lost the thread. The point though is that when you're doing that kind of busyness, when you're working, 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 for you to go from fifth gear into neutral or first gear, it, it can be a shock to the system. So you've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to kind of put in a contingency plan. You probably have to have a, a, an accountability partner, somebody that can help hold you accountable to the stillness. And even if you start to step into nothing or step into stillness, or step into the absence, you probably will have a contraction initially. I know I do. And so if you can learn how to be and surf with that contraction and not expect it overnight for it to come, realize that part of that discomfort is the experience. You know, that's why I love Dan Harris's uh, app, 10% Happier, because he's working, you know, the subtitle that is, you know, meditation for fidgety skeptics. It's just the best subtitle because we are fidgety. But what it's about is like, how do you get comfortable with the fidgetiness and give yourself a little opportunity to decompress? It takes more than a minute or two. So have patience with that. If you're able to walk barefoot, maybe not if there's snow on the ground or the ground is frozen, but um, I used to go into Central Park all the time in the other than the winter months uh, and just sometimes take off my shoes and just walk around on the grass. And yeah. I had, you know, this one shaman, uh, Charles, I love you, Charles Lawrence. I know you're probably back in New York city. I miss you too, by the way, Charles used to tell me to go into Central Park. I would meet with him. He's like, Kim, you're like up here, up here, like calm down, calm down. And he's like, just go into the park and walk around for like an hour. I was like, it's cold out. It was like October, <laughs> November. He's like, too bad, do it anyway. And then stand up against a couple of big oak trees in the, in the park. He said, mm -hmm. and just let it absorb all this like high strung, hyper vigilance, go, 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 you know, green, go energy. And I would do it 
because he was Charles and he knows what he talks about, you know, and it would make a huge difference. So find what it is for you. Like maybe it's your ocean. If you're in a place where you have an ocean, maybe it's hiking. Uh, maybe it's being around nature. Even the Japanese last year were coming, people were hearing all about them uh, calling it forest bathing, where people were paying a lot of money to just be able to walk through a forest. So yeah. if you have a forest, you're a lucky dog or a park, find it. You have your park near you. I know you use that for workouts, but I'm sure it's nice for other things too. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a nice hiking trail that I go on, uh, you know, at least every couple of weeks. But there, yeah. my, I have a friend from um, high school and college that's, uh, he, he's got this routine uh, and it's, it's all about being barefoot and outside, but it's like a recharge routine. Um, yeah. And he, he like talks it through. Maybe I can link to it um, in the show notes. Yeah, that would be yeah. great. Or at least send it to you because it's it's kind of, it's a cool thing. Him and his uh, his I think fiance now, but yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it. it's very powerful and and part of you know there are a lot of people out there that are of the belief that they call it grounding that mm-hmm. they feel part of the reason we're kind of not so well healthy included. Our health is also is because we don't walk barefoot, and yeah. that all the indigenous tribes that do walk barefoot, uh, they are literally grounded like a electrical, you know, uh, pole is yep. needs to be grounded. And he's saying we aren't grounded. So some of these are people that like really want to walk barefoot as much as possible because they feel that that there's always rubber between our feet and the ground, the earth, earthing, they call it earthing. Okay, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it really does have a difference. And, you know, I, I remember in the beginning when he first started to tell me this, I was, you know, rolling my eyes in my head quietly, you know, to myself. But I was like, really? But I couldn't believe how different I felt. Uh, and this was Central Park. I mean, you know, God, Central Park's parks are not as clean as every yeah, other park. <laughs> but, but they're still It's not like sheep. walking by the ocean. That's exactly. <laughs> it's not. It's not. But it's still sheep meadow. It was like a lot of grass. And they yeah. luckily have a sign that says, you know, no dogs allowed. So you're not walking in the middle of anything like that. But still, I was like, this is a remarkably uh, soothing and calming. So these are just, you know, tips and tricks that I've found along the way that have helped me that have changed things and made me be present to like, okay, how do I navigate all this mayhem uh, that's around us? You know, we have to find ways to do that. And I can't recommend uh, Celeste Headley's book enough, Do Nothing. Uh, there's a sloth on the cover, which is just freaking hilarious. Um, and, and I've actually mentioned it to a couple of clients, the concept, and they're just like, oh God, Kim, give me anything else but that. And I'm just like, <laughs> further that's evidence funny. why it's so important. They're like, yeah. please, please, I'll do anything, but don't ask me to do nothing. <laughs> those, are the, those are the things I feel like whenever, whenever somebody tells you, you know, maybe you should try this and you're like, absolutely not. It's probably a sign you should like, like we talk about like with, uh, over trading, like people are over trading or, um, or like on a losing streak. It's like, that's right. Take a day off, man. That's like you're right. not, you're just going to make more mistakes. It's correct. Correct. But they're like anything but that kid. Anything. anything I got to get back on. I got to get back on. It's like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, no, and that's, that's, and that's the sign that you're in an addictive flow. You know, you're yep. in, you're completely hooked and the being hooked is, it's not good. It's not good. And maybe, I don't know if it'll be the next episode, but I'm a huge fan right now and listening to everything by reading uh, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. I mispronounced his name the last time. Um, And he talks at length about addiction. 
and where it comes from and why it needs to be completely decriminalized. Um, so, yeah. you know, but if you, if you really want to understand this concept that we're talking about with trading uh, or with anything that, you know, ultimately he describes addiction. In fact, I think I wrote this down last night, uh, the most simple way I was, uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of his talks. I, I almost finished with his book in the realm of hungry ghosts. And then I started watching his talks and this, this man's been out there for a while. A lot of people have been talking about him. In fact, Tim Ferriss interviewed him two years ago on his podcast, but I didn't watch it. Uh, I think honestly, and I was saying, sharing this with Lucas before we recorded today, um, I knew it was going to go deep. You know, I do a lot of deep work on myself and I am always kind of like engaged in these deep dives at times, but I had a feeling he was going to really go deep for me. And I, I just been doing kind of like other work on myself that I was kind of like, Oh God, I can't take this on. So I've just, I've had Gabor, you know, kind of on the side, on the shelf, like waiting for the moment to come and then, you know, finally came. So anyway, now I'm just like completely saturating myself in everything he speaks about. And what I'm looking for is his simple, simple description to Tim about addiction. And here it is. Craving relief or pleasure. So if you, if you take away the concept of what you think oh, I could have addiction for this trading or for, you know, booze or for wipe that from your mind. This could apply to anything, anything. So if you're craving, um, if you're seeking relief, if you're seeking pleasure uh, in the short term and there are negative consequences for what you're doing in the long term, uh, that is indicating uh, an addiction. So I just don't know anybody who wouldn't be able to probably say yes to that at some point. In their yeah, life. to something in your life that has some sort of, you know, pleasure uh, or relief. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and that craving for it in the short term uh, costs you in the long term. And we certainly know the traders uh, often will have that craving. They will seek that relief and or the pleasure in the short term. But over time, if their account is not doing so well, that is a negative consequence in the long term. And if you yeah. can't stop in spite of this, then that's, you have an addiction. And yeah. addiction is really not something that he feels should be demonized, but needs to be understood. And, yeah. um, but there's so much shame attached to addiction that it's really hard, I think, for people to admit it, even to themselves, never mind uh, anybody else. And that's yeah. why it just is a vicious cycle. So we'll get more into that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Box of kittens in another episode. <laughs> in a month or so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that box of kittens, I like that. Exactly. Yeah, we could probably, probably call this one an episode and um, we'll, uh, we'll see everybody in the new year, I guess. Yeah, that, that's good. That sounds good. All right. So remember, make your New Year's resolutions uh, and see if you're willing to switch the resolutions to the concept I'm introducing to you in the last podcast called Intentions. See what happens if you take your resolutions, look at them through the lens of in intention and see if they shift or the pressure changes a little bit for you. Uh, this was a wild collection of different places we went but the books are do nothing by celeste headley and the end of absence and the author of that book will put in the liner notes yeah. uh 
and then we talked a little bit about Kabor uh, Mate's book uh, in the realm of hungry ghosts, but we'll talk more about that in another episode when I have my notes in front of me. I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing book. It's a hard book to read, but it's amazing. Yeah. All right. So Perfect. happy, happy uh, Christmas and happy yeah. new year, Lucas. Um, happy new year. Happy Christmas, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you. Thank you viewers too for listening. Yeah, uh, if you're one. on Spotify or Apple or you're on YouTube watching us, please give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy of that. And uh, please give us comments and let us know what you want us to talk about so we can take those topics on. Yeah. I'm sure we can find a book about whatever the topic is and Kim will read it in like 35 <laughs> minutes. So <laughs> well, maybe not 35 minutes, <laughs> but maybe four hours. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, Lucas. Appreciate it today. All right, guys, we'll Thank see you. you the next time on the wall street coach uh, podcast and thanks for listening in and have a great, great new year. Aloha. This has been the wall street coach podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.